All right, turn to Ezekiel chapter 15. Just in case you missed it, all of our elementary kids went to their uh, time of teaching. And so, parent, if you miss that, you can take your child there. Or if the child wants to stay in here with you, that's great too. The title of my message today may grab your attention because it's not a typical title. When the Lord turns away. You're like, wait a second, I thought the Lord's turning towards us. Well, we'll talk about that and we'll see how the Lord is moving. So as you're finding Ezekiel 15, I just want to remind you that our church is going somewhere under the Lord's leadership. And that's why we have a, a course called CIL Forward. And you can start that today. You can start it online and you can go through CIL Forward at your own pace. You can find it at cil.church. That lets you know who we are. So if you're new, you discover who we are. Maybe you've been here a long time. Maybe you watch on, on our digital church and you want to find out more like, what do we believe? Who are we? You can go through that on your own pace. And then at the end of that, we want to meet with you. And so we want to know who you are and how we can get you involved in the church. One of the things we talk about in CIL Forward is our strategy. God's called us to do things for him and step in his mission and his purpose. But how do we do that? Well, it's real simple. Uh, there's four things. We cultivate small groups. We equip the next generation. We develop leaders and we embody mission. That's why we put these different activities on, these different small groups, these different opportunities for kids, teenagers, young adults. It's because that's what God has called us to do. Cultivate small groups, equip the next generation, develop leaders, and embody mission. Guys, it's been a long mowing season, has it not? Right? I mean, the guys and girls who mow are 17 acres. I respect you so much. But most of the years that I've been here, about August we go to every other week. That hasn't happened this year. I mean, the rain keeps coming and coming. And so I, I talked to my uncle in Houston and he said they're in a huge drought. And so I thank God that uh, we, we, we have the rain, but it does mean a lot more mowing. And it does mean that like at my house, stuff grows that I don't wanna grow. And so I'm not like this great gardener or anything like that, but I can tell the difference between a weed and something that you want in your, in your uh, flower beds or whatever the case is. And sometimes I have more weeds and flowers, but, and that's just how life works. Well, we have a couple of crepe myrtles. They're nothing special. Uh, probably most of you have one at your apartment or at your house nearby. But I did notice a few weeks ago that this one crepe myrtle had not bloomed at all. It was kind of a, at the corner of the house. I don't often walk by it. I go in my garage, go in my house. So I hadn't really looked at it, but it had not bloomed. And so I walked over there and there was a vine that had overtaken the crepe myrtle. Just, just kind of an ugly vine, not, not a beautiful vine, not an intentional vine, not a fruitful vine, just this kind of crazy vine that had taken everything over. So I started pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. And you know, five minutes later, I had a whole, a whole stack of weeds, a vine with no purpose except uh, to limit my crepe myrtle. And sure enough, after a few more days, the crepe myrtle bloomed and it's looking okay right now. Well, that, that's an interesting story to me, I guess. <laughs> but I think it prepares us for Ezekiel chapter 15. Because Ezekiel chapter 15, we're going to see that the Lord uses a metaphor for his people 
when they're not fruitful, and hence the title today, when the Lord turns away. Now, here's a cool thing about today. If you've not read a whole chapter in the Bible in a long time, or maybe ever, in about three minutes, you'll be able to say, you've read a whole chapter in the Bible. So we're going to see that and read that together. Ezekiel chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, how does the wood of the vine, the branch among the trees of the forest, compare to any other wood? Let's stop there for a second. So let's just think about this word picture for a second. Think about a forest with all of these beautiful trees, but he's saying there's a vine in that forest. And how does that vine compare to the rest of the beautiful trees? And so now we'll go to, the, to verse three. Can wood be taken from it to make something useful? Or can anyone make a peg from it to hang things on? In fact, it is put into the fire as fuel. The fire devours both of its ends and the middle is charred. Can it be useful for anything? Even when it was whole, it could not be being useful when the fire has devoured it and it is charred. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to fire as fuel, so I will give up the residents of Jerusalem. I will turn against them. They may have escaped from the fire, but it will still consume them. And you will know that I am the Lord when I turn against them. I will make the land desolate because they have acted unfaithfully. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Yeah, what, what a scripture, huh? I mean, listen, I'm looking at the different chapter 15s in the Bible. And I have skipped a couple of them, and you're welcome that I have, because there were, there were a couple of them that were tough. Now, this one was on the skip list, but I had some positive feedback. Some of you guys have said, hey, this has been great. I like looking at the different chapter 15. So I re-looked at the skip list, and the Lord was speaking right here in a new way, in a fresh way through this scripture. So the vine has always been an image and there's lots of examples. In fact, when we get to John 15, we'll have another example of that. There's lots of examples in the Bible of God comparing his people to a fruitful vine. Like he's caring for the vine. He's trimming it. He's cultivating it. He's, he's giving it direction and then fruit comes forward. And this is a word picture for us as God's people. God's caring for us. He's tending to us. He's, he's putting us on a trellis so that we can grow and bloom and be beautiful and blossom for him. But there is a vine, just like the one at my house that overtook the crepe myrtle. And just like Ezekiel talked about a vine in the forest that's really not worth anything. I mean, it doesn't do anything except prevent growth. And in the end, when the judgment of God comes, it's just something that's burnt up. And this is a picture of a life that rejects God, a life that's not connected to God, a life that is not fruitful for God because it's, un, it's not connected to the Lord. The Lord desires fruitfulness for us. 
This is what the Lord is asking for us, that we would be, have a life of purpose, a life where we're bearing much fruit for him. So I want us to see here different roles about us, about God, about the land, and about how we can move forward. Here's my first observation today. This is an observation about me. I'm full, I foolishly forfeit God's call. That, that's what I'm thinking about me when I think about this scripture. I foolishly forfeit fruitfulness. So right away we're saying like, how, the, the Lord is turning against people. Well, that doesn't seem very nice. Well, we'll get to that in a second. I do know this is that the reason that we're so blessed that the Lord turns to us through Jesus is because he has the potential to turn against us. Now, Jesus has made the way for that not to happen, but it's just like, you know, when you were in high school and you asked the girl to a date and the only reason it was satisfying that she said yes is because she could have said no, right? And so the mercy of God, the acceptance of God, the favor of God, the choice of God is impactful to us because without Jesus and without the sovereignty of God and without God's choice, he could have turned away from us because of our sin. He could have turned away from us. And in this moment in Israel's history, he was turning away from them as part of his bigger plan. This all occurred about 600 years before Jesus came to the world in a physical way. Ezekiel was a prophet and a priest. So he was in the special priest class, but he functioned more than just a normal priest. He was a prophet who spoke difficult words to people, words people didn't want to hear. Probably, you know, he, he, he probably wanted to skip this sermon too. But he spoke the truth of God prophetically to the people. Because if we don't understand the judgment of God, then we'll never appreciate the mercy of God. If we think that God is just giving out favor because we're so great, then we fail to see that God is operating in wisdom and mercy, not in his judgment, but instead choosing mercy. And then we can see that God is great among us. Verse eight, there's a little line you may have missed. It said this, they have acted unfaithfully. They have acted unfaithfully. And this is what happens to us when we reject God's plan, when we reject God's word, when we reject the Holy Spirit's direction, when we reject the ancient wisdom that has come from millennium of church interpretation of scripture. We reject all of that and say, hey, I don't really want to believe this. I don't want to live this. That's not the way I see it. That doesn't work for me. And then the life of the Lord, the connection to the spirit of God that makes us fruitful for him. We've cut that off from our life. And this, this happened at the very beginning. Adam had two sons, Cain and Abel. You ought to read that story sometime about Cain and Abel. It was the first murder that occurred on planet earth. Many, 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 many years later, 
uh, 2,000 years later, the writer of Hebrews talked about this murder. And he said this in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It says, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no one, no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling many. Verse 16, and make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau. Think about that for a second. Immoral, and then that's moral choices we make, and irreverent. Again, that's that mocking spirit against not only religion, but specifically the personality of Jesus Christ. There's an irreverent spirit towards that in our culture that's popular, that's accepted, of, of just, uh, just irreverent towards Christianity and more importantly, irreverent towards the truth of Jesus. So make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. Isn't that what we do in a moment where we want pleasure, we give up the call of God on our life in that moment. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. So here it is. Esau is an example of someone who forfeited his birthright. A birthright is a gift that God gave him for his future, for his destiny. So it is, guys, that when we forfeit our birthright through immorality, through being irreverent, we, we are in that same spirit of Abel. We're rejecting, just like the people in Ezekiel's day who they've acted unfaithfully. We are rejecting the fruitfulness of God. So it all starts with us, right? It starts with God's people not obeying God's plan. And I think we need to own that sometimes. Because sometimes we want to blame everyone else but ourselves. We want to blame church hurt. And, I, and I'm sorry the church has hurt you. The church, are the kids all out of the room because I want to say something? Oh, I see kids there. Okay, the church can be, be so inappropriate sometimes. I get that. But that doesn't change your relationship with God. So you can't let that be an excuse. You, you, you can help be part of the solution, but, but don't let that take you out of your relationship with God. Don't forfeit your birthright. Just because your parents or grandparents were hypocrites doesn't mean you have to be. Doesn't mean you have to throw away Christianity. It means you can live an authentic faith. You can have a birthright that God has birthed Jesus within you. And so it is with the people in, in, in the days of Ezekiel that they, 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 they weren't doing what God had called them to do. They weren't being fruitful and the prophetic voice called them back to the Lord. So that's our role. That's me. And I've done it before. I forfeited my birthright in, in a bad choice, a bad year, uh, a bad mindset. And I'm so thankful for the mercy of the Lord. Jesus just keeps calling me back to him. Praise God for that. Let's talk about God here. So here's my second observation. God is consistent in his character. So we need to remember that God doesn't adapt to us. We adapt to God. And so Ezekiel 15 gives us insight into the personality of God. One of the things that's unique about our God is our God has a name and our God has a personality. 
He's not a concept. He's not a coping mechanism. He's not a, an expression of our nationalism or an expression of our family culture. God has a very specific personality that we keep discovering and we learn more about it and we learn how, how it, it, his personality impacts us today. But we don't change God. God changes us. And we see in, in, in verse 8 a very powerful scripture. I will make the land desolate because they have acted unfaithfully. This is the declaration of the Lord, the Lord God. Guys, land, both physical land and both lands that hold people, that hold cultures, suffer under the judgment of God. This is, this is something that is a historical fact, and this is a modern fact. You can look around, and, and there are times when the hand of God is not on a culture, that it not only impacts the people of the land, but it often impacts the land itself. Since A.D. 70, about 40 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven, Palestine, our Israel, was destroyed by the Romans. And for centuries, centuries, this land became desolate, a desert, no agriculture, very little development. That all changed recently uh, about 150 years ago, that change started. And since that change has started now today, land that in some of our lifetime was desolate, desert land, unfruitful, is fruitful again. Now there's lots of factors to that. There's geopolitical factors. There's agricultural developments. There's, there's a fascinating story to talk about all of the, all of the uh, factors that go into that. But on a very simplistic and true basis. It is the favor of God instead of the judgment of God. The favor of God makes the land prosper and the land will prosper. I think about a country that I love, but I'm very concerned about. A country that I visited in 2012, the country of Haiti. And Haiti is physically different than the Dominican Republic that shares the same land. There's many, many Christians in Haiti, but there's such a demonic stronghold there of primitive religions calling upon demonic spirits. And there's such a void of leadership. I say that out of concern. I'm not trying to belittle that country or belittle any, any of my Haitian friends. I'm concerned about their future and I'm cheering them on and believing that good things can come in the future, but present, even in 2023, it's maybe darker than it's been in a long time. I see the the, de de forces, the, the forests that are, have been stripped, uh, the, the mountains that are lush on one side of the island, but they're stripped down on the other because of lack of management. This, my friends, is part of, this is part of a, of, of a rejection of the ways of the Lord. Not, not completely, but it's, it's an evidence of that. And that's why we should not abandon steward, stewardship of this planet. I just want to say this. I, Listen, I'm going to try my hardest as we go into next year's election to not be political. I don't want to be, give a political innuendo. I just want to preach truth, okay? Preach God's word. I want you to feel safe here on Sundays because I want us all to just be here to experience Jesus. So no matter what policy or policy approach you would take towards conservation of the earth, I think we can all agree upon this. 
Cleaner water and cleaner air are good things, right? I mean, whether it's my personal responsibility, and let's start with that, or or whether there is a collective effort that that we don't want to breathe things that cause our lungs to to disintegrate. (laughs) That's kind of a strong word, but we, we want clean air. We want clean water. This is all part of taking care of the land. And, and when, when you're under the prosperity of God and you're not just worried about your next meal and you're not worried about where you're gonna stay, you can begin to think about bigger concepts of like how can we sustain this planet until Jesus comes again? And how, how can we lock arm giving us a better place? See guys, this is all part of living out our faith under the blessings of God, not the judgment of God. Jud- judgment which is the withdrawal even of, of God's blessing, then with that, things get worse, things get dirtier, sin gets stronger, cities, cities get worse, crime increases, disruption happens. But with the blessing of the Lord, then we can create with the Lord. We can create better education systems. We can create more art to the glory of God. We can have more wholesome entertainment. We can have music that is beautiful and a reflection of the soul. And all of this comes from the blessing of the Lord as we seek the blessing of the Lord. So the earth itself is crying out for the favor of the Lord. Look at Psalm 96. Psalm 96 talks about how good the judgment of the Lord can be when it corrects things. Say among the nation, the Lord reigns. That's, a, that's, again, that, that word Lord is capitalized. It's talking about a specific name, a specific personality of God. Say among the nations, the Yahweh reigns, Jehovah reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Look at this. I love this about the judgment of God. He judges people fairly. Isn't that great about our God? He judges fairly. We don't have to wonder if he's been bribed. We don't have to wonder if he's trying to trick us that there's a goodness about God's judgment that benefits all of us. And verse 11 says this, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout with joy. They won't have those ugly vines on them anymore, right? Before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world with righteousness and the people with his faithfulness. Guys, we can embrace the judgment of the Lord because it's good for the earth. Like the earth is going to prosper under the judgment of God in a way that the the trees will clap, the fields will be glad because he comes and he judges fairly and he judges justly. And then we can see that with righteousness, the people will see his faithfulness. This is what the Lord does. The earth responds to the Lord's judgment and it responds to the Lord's judgment in a redemptive way. It rebounds under the Lord's judgment. When Solomon dedicated the temple and he dedicated the temple to the Lord, the Lord gave him some instructions. And there's a really familiar scripture that when you, when I read it, we read it together, you're going to go, ah, yeah, I know that scripture. I've heard that scripture because it's a scripture that, that pastors like to use a lot. Leaders like to use a lot, but it's within the context of Solomon dedicating the temple. So I want us to go to second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 11. 
And we're going to see how the Lord heals the land. So Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace. Everything that had entered Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own place succeeded. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifices. Now, verse 13, this is the Lord gives a really unusual statement, at least from my perspective. If I shut the sky so there's no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people. So what is this? This is the judgment of the Lord. Verse 14, and my people who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to the prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. So this is beautiful. God's saying, listen, if judgment comes to the land, if grasshoppers and famine and pestilence, then if my people will pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal the land. So God is here to heal the land. So we see in Ezekiel 15 that God turned away from the people and that the land itself suffered. But that's not the end of the story. That's just part of the story. That, that we know that the potential God has to judge response to our repentance, to bring healing, blessing, restoration. And guys, that was 600 years before Jesus came to this world. So even in physical Israel, we've seen in these last 150 years, certainly since 1948, we have seen Israel, the land itself prosper, which is a sign that God is sending prosperity and blessing in the spiritual realm to us also. And that leads me to number three. Did I already say number three, didn't I? The land responds to God's judgment. I just already preached point three before I told you point three. So that's all right. All right. So the land responds to God's judgment. You've already heard the scriptures on that. Let's go to number four. Here's the last one. The future belongs to God's asserted rule and reign. So we know that Jesus is seated with God right now. Far above every power, principality, Jesus is seated in the heavenly realms and he even has us seated with him. So he is over sin. He is over demonic spirits. He is over all the negative things in this world, in this life. He is ruling and reigning. And he is by his sovereign will asserting that rule and reign with more and more measure. And that's the story of God. The story of God redeeming his word. Let's go back to our text today. Excuse me, let's go to Zechariah chapter two before we do that. I'm sorry. Zechariah chapter two. Look at this. Daughters, Zion, shout for joy and be glad for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. This is him asserting his rule and reign with greater measure as the future unfolds. Verse 11. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people. I will dwell among you and you will know the Lord of armies has sent me to you. This is an exciting future that we have. You know, we can read 
two things in scripture and they're both equally true. The world's getting worse and sin is increasing. And the scripture says that, and that is true. But there's also a narrative that is equally true is that there's greater glory. There's greater power. There's a greater movement of God. There's a greater, there's a greater recognition of the glory and strength of the Lord because there's a culmination of God asserting his rule and asserting his reign to prepare his people for his leadership. And when King Jesus, who is above every power and principality right now, in his sovereign will, keeps asserting his will and purposes. And the whole world is going to see how great our God is. The whole world is going to see what it's like when a righteous, just, perfect, holy, incomparable God, he is in charge. No longer will we be polluted by the weakness of man. No longer will we be deceived by the powers and principalities of darkness moving through systems, moving through people. Instead, God will assert his rule and reign and we will see God do something magnificent. The world will see how great our God is. See, we've been, it's been revealed to us through salvation and through Jesus. And now we see that rule continue to be asserted. This has been the story of God's people from Abraham's family to Israel, now to the church. The church, we're seeing God assert his rule and reign. There's a theologian named George Ladd, and here's something that he wrote. While God is king over all the earth, he is in a special way the king of his people, Israel. God's rule is therefore something realized in Israel's history. However, it's only partially and imperfectly realized. Now here's where we are, the age we're in. Therefore, the prophets look forward to a day when God's rule will be fully experienced, not by Israel alone, but by all the world. Guys, that's, that's the age we're living in where the whole world, is, is that the message of Jesus is spreading through the whole world. And that's why we're sending Josh Johnson to another part of the world. And we're getting behind Josh and what he's doing. Because the message of the Lord is not just for Abraham's family. And it's not just for Americans. It's for the whole world. And we're going to see an increase of that. We're going to see a greater increase of the knowledge of the world. So don't believe only the narrative that the world's getting worse. Also live in the biblical narrative that there are greater days ahead. We're gonna see the kingdom of God advance in new ways. We're gonna see the Lord reveal himself to people and salvation come to the nations. I believe we're gonna see whole regions of the world that currently don't follow the Lord. Uh, We're gonna see the demographics and the stats change so there's an increase of Christianity. There's an increase of the rule and reign of Jesus. There's an increase of the recognition of who God is. This is the hope that we have because God wants to be with us. I titled this message, When the Lord Turns Away. But the truth is, because of Jesus, the Lord now has turned to us. He's set his salvation upon us. He's chosen us. He's sent Jesus and he sent the Holy Spirit to redeem us, to call us to himself so that we could have fellowship with him. And the culmination of history, 
It's not about us disappearing, but it's about God coming back again. Jesus asserting his rule and reign on this earth, on this planet, so people will know how great he is. Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse one. says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. That's the place of mystery. Verse two, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her, her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Isn't that beautiful? And, we, he, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Can we thank God for that? The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. This beautiful, beautiful picture of salvation. Here's life without salvation. Verse eight, but the cowards, faith, liars, they're shiftable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their share will be in the lake, of, uh, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Listen, I I had to read about the second death so you would appreciate the second life, all right? That's not our destiny. That's not where we're going. That's not where we're gonna end up because of Jesus and because of the cross and because what he's done for us. And so we thank God for that. Guys, this is what God turns away from. God turns away from sin. That's what he does. And we know that even when Jesus was on the cross that the father turned his head. He turns from sin, But because of Jesus, Jesus became sin for us. And now God doesn't see sin on his people. God sees the righteousness of Jesus instead of sin. This is why God turns to us. He turns to us because of the gracious work of Jesus. So the title, when the Lord turns away, what does that mean? That means we are positioned for the Lord to return. We're positioned for him to return to us. Joel chapter two, verse 12 and 14 says, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. Guys, this is scriptures that we need to hear, meditate on, live, but we can only realize the power of Joel's declaration when we realize the power of Ezekiel's declaration in chapter 15. The Lord turned away, but the Lord turns back for he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. And look at this, he relents from sending disaster. The Lord who relents, the Lord that holds back his judgment, the Lord that holds back the destruction. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer a grain offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. And he did that very thing 
through Jesus and the work of Jesus on, by the, the cross and the resurrection. Here's my last scripture today. James 4, 8 says this to the people of God. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we have been part of this historic faith. Today's passage going back 2,600 years. People were the same 2,600 years ago as they are today. And if the Lord doesn't come back in the next 2,600 years, and he might not, guys. We can't control that, only he knows. People will be the same. And we will have a propensity or a trend to turn away from God. And then the Lord will call us to turn back to God. And so that's why you're here today. Thank you for watching the sermon, whether you're watching right now or watching later in the week. Thank you for coming and sitting in these gray chairs today. Listen, your very act of participating in church is part of you turning to God. And so I'm here to commend you more than I am to correct you. I'm saying to God's people, Thank you for being faithful to church. Thank you for being faithful to scripture. Thank you for believing things that are hard. Thank you for staying true to the heart of God and not to take the cynicism and negativity of this world. And by doing that, we turn to God. And when we turn to God, he turns back to us. Hey, if you're able to, let's stand together as we move to a conclusion today. Lord, there's a lot of different scriptures I was led to share today. And Lord, I thank you for truth coming and just truth speaking over. Lord, we thank you, God, that your kindness is greater than your judgment. Lord, we're aware of your judgment. We spoke about it. We read Ezekiel 15 today. Uh, we, we don't wanna be that unfruitful vine. We don't wanna be that wasted vine. Lord, we wanna be connected to you. We wanna be connected to your presence. So we repent right now. We repent, we turn to you. We turn to your presence. We turn to your ways. We turn to your heart, oh God. Father, I just thank you for that right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in this place today. Thank you, Jesus, that your word reveals truth. 